This is an audio-only podcast taken from a Twitch live stream, so some content may not make sense outside of its live environment, and there may be short breaks in the audio. To watch the full live talk show, please visit www.twitch.tv forward slash hi7ch. Right, okay, guys, welcome to, I'm using the wrong camera, I don't know why I'm looking over there, welcome to the HFOS <coughs> podcast. Today's a special event because you will notice that Mr. Cola and Mr. World of Grey look slightly different today. Uh, for a start, both have actual, well, no, actually, one one has an almost beard and uh, Simon's beard has disappeared somewhat. I think he's been shaving. Yeah, uh, I trimmed it a little bit. Damn it. I was actually <laughs> thinking about Especially so that it would look the same. <laughs> You, you've not got enough grey in it, Mike. You, you're way out, mate. You're oh, too young. <laughs> if you're closer up, and it definitely does, trust me. <laughs> so we have two... I'm going to call them C64 devs, but I do know that Mike's done stuff on other things. I'm not sure about Shalan, who's Simon. Uh, I don't know what he's done. We will find out, though. Um, both of them have been making some cool games. Uh, Mike is... a uh, immensely famous right now for vegetables deluxe which you can actually go on pre-order from uh, doublesidergames.com and um and shalan simon is a uh, kind of slightly famous for a game called dot cosmos uh, which is popular as all hell and dot cosmos 2 is coming up uh, mike's also got some other stuff coming up but we will cover that soon don't worry um so first of all welcome to the stream guys and we'll take podcast um I've already kind of asked this, but how are you both doing? And do you know that it's only four months till Christmas? <laughs> uh, that is the yeah. reaction I was hoping for. Thank you. <laughs> I try not to think about Christmas until it's until it's almost upon me. See, and then I, like I go Christmas. do my Christmas shoppings. Yeah, I've made I've made a promise that I will mention how long it is to Christmas on every single Hitching Post podcast. So four months. You can do a little go. countdown for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going. <laughs> it's not. It's not that white yet. It's not that white yet. I want to see you do a stream dressed as Santa over Christmas. <laughs> that is actually possible. I always go away for Christmas, but uh, that is actually possible because they're getting five to nine in the country house, parents' house. So that is doable. Um, right, guys, um, you've got some questions. I didn't just. I kind of preloaded you with them because some of these kind of go in depth, I guess. Um, so we're just going to start off with number one. The guys in chat, welcome. Um, you will be able to throw questions at these two adorable men at some point soon uh, towards the end of the stream. So keep them queued up and just wait for them. And 50% gifts already bought. Damn coconut practices. Um, all right, guys. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to throw this to uh, Shalan first, who's on the top, by the way. Mike is on the bottom, uh, sorry, in the middle, and I'm at the bottom. Uh, what makes your code for the C64 of all things? What, what is it? Is it nostalgia, ease of use, something else? What, 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 what does that for you? I think for me, it's, it's nostalgia more than anything else. It's the machine I spent most of my childhood playing. I had a few machines, but the 64 was the one I spent the most time on. Yeah, and it's certainly the one I learned to do the most code on as well. That probably helps. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I play I played it from maybe eleven or twelve all the way up to seventeen, eighteen years old. So 
Wow. You know, while everyone else was switching over to Amiga and PC, I was I was adamant that I wasn't going to move off the sixty four. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of stuck with me. So that's that's why it's nostalgia more than anything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Plus, it's, it's a great machine as well. So it is, it is. I mean, I'm 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 fairly new to the C64. I've always known about it, obviously, but until November last year, I'd never actually owned one. Uh, yeah, I was a Spectrum Boy. I'm I'm sorry, guys, Spectrum <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I started on Spectrum. Yeah, but I blew it up. I, I wired a Scalectric car to it, like within about two months of getting it. Okay. We we will be going into that one soon, I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what 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 makes you code for it? I know you do Amiga too, but what what has made you code for Z sixty four? Similar kind of reason to uh, to what Simon said. There, it was the first computer that I ever had. Uh, I was you know kind of six, seven, eight years old when I started off on the C sixty four. And back then, if you didn't have a lot of games and you were at the kind of age where there was you know, school trading that kind of thing, yeah, of uh, public domain software. All you could really do was play with it yourself. And so once you sort of mucked about with it for a little bit, you changed the colors of the screen and so on, you get a little bit uh, interested in it. And I was always interested in making games uh, and writing things for the Commodore 64, but with a Commodore 64 and a tape drive and no internet and no sort of coding at school or anything like that, yeah. never really managed to do very much more than kind of poking bits and pieces into memory and, uh, and things like that. So. That was why, why I picked the C64. I've got more coding experience on the Amiga, probably, because I did a lot of game music and things on that. But emulation's a lot more advanced, I think, on the Commodore 64. The, the scene seems to be a little bit better. And yeah. the main thing for me is that with an 8-bit computer like a C64, you can pretty much do the entirety of the game yourself, the graphics, the sound, and everything, yeah. without needing to have a kind of a complete development team, because expectations aren't as great. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a more accessible uh, experience for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so you, you both you you both program graphics. You um, you good at them? The programmer graphics. <laughs> I, I I know the term programmer graphics because of Emma's programmer graphics, and um, it, it's almost an insult. But I kind of like them. They feel a bit more genuine to me. If you know what I mean, a bit more honest. That's what I like the C64. There's, there's a lot of that kind of these really kind of rough and ready games, but they've got their own kind of charm. I think um, and non-graphic coders are people that, that sort of do graphics because of, of need rather than because that was their, what they wanted to do. Yeah. Did some really, really interesting games and you got some really kind of stylistically interesting choices on 8-bit games because of that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, I think the limitation on the Commodore as well make it a bit easier to experiment as a programmer. Like if you if you go to a 16-bit machine and you've got the large color palettes, it becomes really difficult to do anything. Yeah, artistic. I, I was actually going to say what, with what, just three colors and a very small area, it's a, it's <laughs> a lot easier to draw something. Yeah, what what you mentioned about the um, uh, going into a game and kind of you know changing changing the colors, change changing a little couple of things on somebody else's game, which you do, Shilan, to kind yeah. of you know help educate people like me on how to do all this stuff and, and for fun too and to make games better or worse <laughs> airwolf can you make games better or, I, I don't we'll not we'll not we'll not talk about that one um i did the exact same things but i did it with a spectrum um i mean i started out literally by changing a, uh, the thing so when it booted up and it said sinclair software it, it didn't it said hitch software because even in <laughs> 1981 i was still called hitch um and, and that's where I kind of started too. So, yeah, I, I get that. I get the whole um, 
simplicity of it makes it easier as well. I mean, Spectrum had eight colors, so, you know, you're never going to get lost trying to pick a color palette with that thing. Um, <laughs> how, how do you find the culture nowadays around C64 for, for, for game devving in 2019 or just general game devving, you know? Um, compared to most game dev communities, I think it's really good. Um, it's... I mean, obviously it's small compared to most, but um, it's it's a very friendly community, very very helpful community. Yeah, um, and it's 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 surprised me actually coming back just how how much it's growing, uh, you know, month on month. So yeah, um, I'm hoping that we can keep it going and in, for the next uh, thirty years as well. That will be cool. I Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> when I first came back to streaming and experience it, playing it, I was like, hang on, there's an active scene. And by scene, I don't just mean a demo scene. There's all these new games. Uh, some of them really, really amazing. Some not so much, but then again, 8-bit computers have always had the some not so much games, haven't they? Well, I guess they all do, to be fair, even consoles today. Um, what about you, Mike? How are you finding the uh, the culture around it? Well, it's, it's kind of odd for me because uh, as I sort of make great pains to say, I'm not a coder by any way, shape or form. It's something that I just kind of have uh, fallen into by accident almost. So I don't have any experience of any other game dev communities. I mean, the last time that I was working on games with people was 25 years ago on the Amiga, and that was putting discs into jiffy bags. You know, maybe a kind of a, a weekly or two weekly phone call with somebody to talk about ideas. But, you know, most of it was done by kind of like handwritten letters and that kind of thing. <laughs> so the way that the community is now with the kind of instant help and support that people like Shine gives on his, on his Discord channels to people, but for, and he asks for nothing for it, which is amazing. Yeah. There's so much opportunity there to pick things up. And there's, you know, there's no way that I could have done the things that I've done without the access to these great people in the Commodore scene. I just wouldn't have even known where to get started. I've seen a couple of pockets of negativity, but nothing sort of directed at me or that's caused me any problems. So... Yeah. It seems to be a pretty good place to be. Well, we know about the negativity. We're just going to wash over that. We, I, th I think everybody in this <laughs> channel knows it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm only kidding. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> um, what well, kind of, um, in the actual, you say you've got a lot of help from like the community and stuff like that. Where where are the communities most? I mean, Shalan, yes, is a given, but he's also only really just started that. And you guys have been doing this for a fair while now. Um, where where did you you go when you is it places like Lemon sixty four or did you go to Reddit or is it more specific, uh, Cody type places? I mean, where, where um, do you get help from? So when I when I came back to the scene, I had very very dated knowledge. I didn't really know where to go, and uh, Google kind of led me to Codebase. I think it's called Codebase sixty four. Yeah, um, and that's where I kind of learned most of the the techniques that I needed to to make a game. Okay, um, and then Lemon sixty four, as you say, for for the rest really. Yeah, uh, as, as toxic as Lemon can be, there's there's some really good people on there as well. So. There is. Yeah, I uploaded kind of... a demo of my game onto Lemon uh, and sort of said, I've got a few bugs, I can't work out of this. And just uh, some guy kind of took it, pulled it apart, um, patched the game, fixed it, and then sent me a private message explaining how to fix the interrupt routine. Just that kind of thing, just absolutely amazing that somebody would be willing yeah. to do that. Just yeah. out of the goodness of their own heart with no expectation of, of reward or anything other than that. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't imagine that happening in virtually any other system in 2019. <laughs> 
it's it's going to be like, no, I want payment of some variety, you know, I need some kind of fame to claim or claim to fame, sorry, or something. That is uh, that's extraordinary. And that was on that was on Lemon sixty four. Yeah, yeah, in Lemon, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's uh, cool. I, same places that, that that Simon said there. That's where I kind of went when I started. The other thing that I did was there's a, a book called Retro Game Dev by Derek. I've forgotten his surname now, but uh, it's called yeah. Retro Game Dev. Uh, that's what introduced me back into seeing it. it was that book and the, the code examples that it gives, which work on CBMPRG Studio. Having something for me that just kind of kicked you off up under screen and let you start doing stuff really, really quickly was absolutely fantastic because a lot of the stuff that's out there, Codebase64 is a great example, yeah. needs what, to me, are very, very complicated programming techniques like development environments and you know, using the command line and all this kind of stuff that I, I stopped doing 25 years ago when I left the Amiga. So I'm not really up to that. And so just this kind of, this ability to have this kind of visual things. And I've not yet found another system that's got the same kind of quality of, of software that the C64 has. Seen bits for the NES, bits for the Atari 2600. But the C64, there's two or three really, really good integrated development packages. Yeah. Plus the stuff like KickAssembly, which is just supremely powerful and I've not even scratched the surface of yet. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, apparently the surname is Morris. According to Andy in chat. Derek yeah, Morris, that's, yeah. that's the chat. Uh, yeah, it's a really good book. Really. Okay, so that that's one. You know what? There's a question later that we can actually come back to for that. Um, Andy says there's less of an ego culture and more of a sharing culture with the C64 scene. I suspect yeah, that's always. I mean, public domain was a thing on C64, not as much as Amiga and stuff. But I suspect that's that's always been a thing, though, hasn't it, with the Commodore brand in general. There seems to be much more a case of, and yes, some of it may be slightly illegal sharing, but it's always been a case of spreading it out there to get things to other people. And it never did it any harm, let's be honest, even the illegal stuff. So I, I guess that's just a thing with um, with 8-bit and 16-bit computing. It, it has a wider appeal in general that I guess takes away the ego because you're on there with people like you, you two who... Mike says he doesn't really know what he's talking about, but we know that's bullshit because look at the T-shirt he's wearing. Uh, <laughs> I, can make, I can make a T-shirt, no problem. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, his T-shirt is his game. Okay, well, not literally, but he's advertising his game, which is a damn good idea, and I wish we'd all ordered one now. Where do I get this T-shirt? Uh, you have to peel it from my cold, dead body right now. It's the only one that I've got. <laughs> okay, we can't do that because we want your Lunar Lander game, so <laughs> we're going to have to wait. <laughs> um, you're making games for C64. You both made games for the RGCD 16-kilobyte uh, dev compo. Um, you've made other games before. There is a market out there for C64. It's not huge in my opinion but what's your opinion on on the in actual game sales for modern c64 games even amiga if you want uh what what's what's the market out there is it is it viable is it is it big enough is it just purely ever going to be for hobbyists or for making money from other things like shalan has a patreon up a very good patreon for just helping uh with you know his time and stuff like that for the help he gives to the community uh, or, or is the game sales enough? Um, I, I don't think the ga game sales are enough. If you look at a game like uh, Sam's Journey, uh, probably the biggest release of the Commodore in the past 10 years or so, yeah. um, that still only sold 3,000 copies. And if yeah. you think how long that took to make and how many people were involved in that, 
by the yeah. time you kind of split that up and, and factor in the costs, it's it's not enough to 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 make a living on really. Um, but I don't think that's why people make the games. I think they do it for the love of the system and to to share the the yeah. work that they're doing with other people. Um, I, I think you can kind of you, you can add a little bit of support to yourself with it, um, but you you're never going to get rich from it, okay. unfortunately. What <laughs> <laughs> you, Mike? I think if if you're in it to make money, you want to be making mobile games. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you want to, you want to be in something that's got a huge huge market. Yeah. I don't think for a million years that anybody's going to ever make a living from C64 games. Um, it would be nice to get something uh, out of it, but certainly not the reason that I do. I I, I'm with the, yeah, I come from the PD community, nope. so you lost me. No, nope. still there for me. Yeah, I come from the PD community, so. Um, I'm, I'm used to not really getting anything. My one commercial release on Antrim. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, in terms of that, it's, I don't think that's what it's all about. I think uh, I would agree there, but if you can subsidize some of the costs of production, if you can make a few pence and get some beer money or some money for equipment or to get you know, to, to, to get software or whatever, or run websites and that's absolutely great because that you know that's going to encourage people to do it. But I think if you were purely in it because you thought that there was some money to it, I don't think that any retro system is where you want to be. You'd be better off making a pixel game on a mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can get on the internet now with the C sixty four. So I guess we could add uh, microtransactions and DLCs and please God <laughs> no. <laughs> your card number here. <laughs> Vegetable Deluxe. Download extra. Um... Uh, extra vegetables maybe maybe even replace the mushroom that can, can we get into the mushroom not being an actual vegetable dare we do that live cool <laughs> risky business there um, I, I think we're gonna have to uh, get your master version oh, um, <laughs> unfortunately you broke up with a, a bit there for me can you repeat that last bit I don't think you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think nobody wants to change the graphics in my game and hack about it. They're more than welcome to do so. I'm happy to give them the source code if that helps. Um, give it, give I, it to I, me I, and I'll try. Well, that's one of the great things is, is that there's great open source culture on the machine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, right. We, we did a little bit technical, so I'm just going to throw one out there. This is supposed to be random, but it's not really because you already had a chance to, 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 to work out the question, to, to work out the answer. Favorite system ever to play games on? Mike, go. Amiga. Okay. Why? Yeah, the see, that, that bit wasn't wrote good. down, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, games, the games were good um, on the whole. They were, they were all fairly advanced. Um, there were very few absolute stooming terrible games as there were on some of the other systems. Mainly with Amiga, huge public domain scene. You know, you could get legally, you could acquire tons and tons of games like in Assassin's Discs or whatever. Yep. Um, I've got a lot of fond memories of playing on that one. Uh, I love my Commodore 64, don't get me wrong, but the Amiga was the one where I think just got that balance between quality of games, affordability, and you know everything came right. I think. Yeah, yeah, I actually agree with that completely, uh, Simon. Uh, that would have been the Mega Drive for me. Um, oh, yeah. just, it's you know it's kind of on a par with Amiga for the quality of the games, but you've just got the ease of turning it on, instant load. It yeah. was it was amazing. I, I loved that system growing up, and it was the, the probably the system after the Commodore I used the most. So yeah, um, yeah, uh, definitely I, Mega Drive. Yeah, no, actually, not, not I with all the add-ons though. 
not with no. the, the tower of add-ons. <laughs> the tower of power. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I guess I mean we we had the CD32, which was not really an add-on, but. We don't talk about that one if we can help it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, I mean, they're, they're very comparable. So you're both 16-bit, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, and do you both, I mean, Mike already kind of answered this, do you both prefer that 16-bit over the 8-bit because there's more choice, better graphics? Um, but then do you not prefer the 32-bit because then we're kind of stretching into 3D and stuff? So is that why like the Amiga, the Mega Drive, it's kind of, it's got that classic all-time feeling, or yeah, I, I think for me the 16-bit consoles and and the 16-bit computers were kind of the pinnacle of 2D gaming. They they managed to put enough resource into the game so that you could do what you wanted in it. The developers yeah. didn't really have limitations that they had on the 8-bit machines. The music systems were good in it. Yeah. Um, and it was before we got the kind of 32-bit console era, as you say, 3, 3D kind of spoilt that a little bit, spoilt the feel of the 2D, really. Yeah. Um, so for me... horrible. Sorry? Early 3D was horrible as well. Yeah. It, it was. It was. It was really yeah, rough. Pixelated mess. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not like when they tried to convert that into the Amiga as well. Most 3D Amiga games just don't work. There's just not enough power there. It's Yeah, it's just rough. It's just rough. It's like playing Battlezone whilst, whilst, whilst doing drugs. I imagine I obviously <laughs> wouldn't have a clue on this. Sorry, iTunes. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so ignoring that. <laughs> okay, Mike kind of went into this a little bit, but um, can you describe your workflow and your development environment whilst you're creating games on the C64 or Amiga? Do you use specific tools? Do you use libraries? Is one better than the other? What 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 um, fits with you uh, at heart, and do you do any like uh, working on the actual system, or do you work off system on say a PC and then you know via emulation? I mean, I kind of already know the answer to this question, but some people mm. won't, and then pop it over onto the C64 or the Amiga. Uh, either one, go for it. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I think I think most people who've seen my stream know know the kind of system that I use. So I, I tend to use the PC for most of my development. Um, I use the emulator uh, to test most of the stuff and, and the debugger if I, I get really stuck with something. Yeah. Um, all my uh, graphic uh, and sound tools all on the PC, and it's only really when I'm ready to test a kind of beta version that I will I will test it on the machine, or if if I need to test a particular effect just to make sure it works on real hardware yeah. uh, then i'll test on the machine um but yeah i mean 99 percent of my time is spent on the pc uh okay. testing in vice really okay cool mike it's same. just easier <laughs> yeah uh mike same same kind yeah. of routine uh similar i've got because I, I work across two systems or i'm working on two systems now with c64 it's entirely uh, what sam said there PC based, run under emulation, every now and again, stick it on USB stick, pop it into my Ultimate 64, yeah. uh, and try it on the equivalent of a real machine. I know it's technically it's emulation, but it's, you know, it looks and feels like a C64. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm doing on the, on the C64. With the Amiga stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing the music for a couple of games, the double sided games now, Shadows of Sergoth and Black Dawn Rebirth. Mm-hmm. With both of those, I'm actually using Amiga software, which is kind of a Sort of boxes within boxes, sort of thing. 
So I'm using Optimus Sound Studio, but I'm using the Amiga version because that's where all my muscle memory lies. And yeah. it's more hard work to do something on modern PC tools and then try and transfer it back across to the Amiga again because of file sizes, limitations, that kind of thing. Yeah. I find it easy just directly on the Amiga, but under emulation because I'm not paying A1200 money for an A1200 right now. <laughs> Let's not talk about A1200s. I'm so depressed I can't find one for uh, even a <laughs> unreasonable price in this country. Um, anybody out there in Norway that has an A1200? Silvia, I'm looking at you. <clears throat> Hi. <laughs> I'll sell these two for the 1200. I'm pretty sure they won't mind moving to Norway, will you? <laughs> no worries. <laughs> that well, was that was not a very uh, positive no worries there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why did you ask me that question? That's awkward. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when I used to do Spectrum stuff, Back in literally 1981, uh, 1982, I used to use an actual Spectrum. Uh, now, that was a rubber-keyed Spectrum. Uh, we, I think, myself and Simon, we've talked about this, how you actually can get quite fast when actually typing on one of those things. People now, they look at it and they're like, how could any, but nobody could actually program on that. But um, I was quicker than I am on this mechanical keyboard to this day in 2019. Um, so I used to, tend to do it in basic on a spectrum that was a nightmare so that's, that's the main reason for that question i always wondered when you used to do it back in the day like 25 years ago or whatever did you use um because i highly doubt you used pc then uh did you use uh say mac in uh, max or did you bbc's or or anything or did you actually then program on the amiga or the c64 I guess that one's more to Mike, because I know Mike said he used to do it. <laughs> I used to use an Amiga with, with two disk drives. Yeah. No hard drives, any of that kind of thing back in the day. It was a little sound sampler plugged in with a little three and a half millimeter jack plug into one <laughs> side of a record player. That was always getting my uh, my sounds in. Okay. Proper hardcore stuff. And I'm really comfortable working like that with an Amiga. It's trying to do that with systems that I've not worked with before. I don't know how people even know where to begin but it just seems it feels really natural to me to do that same with if i'm before when you're talking about the keyboard still to this day sometimes i'll press shift and up if i want to go down on the case or just because i'm so used to just using those keys in that particular way yeah 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 that cock's been up all the time it's the most backwards <laughs> design ever and some some games use it as well oh, and i'm like did they yeah, not bother actually beta testing this <laughs> i'd quite happily buy a brand new keyboard if i had just two case of keys and you have to do shift <laughs> yeah and uh, a may maybe a full selection of uh, F keys, function keys as well. That would be nice instead of having to shift nah. on them. Nah, five more than enough for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> what about we'll you? What about you, Shalon? Did you, I mean, you said you came back to Devin on the C64. So does that mean you did it back in the day? Yes, I, I, I had a 64C back in the day. And, and when I was coding, I did it entirely on that. Um, yeah tape drive no disk drive uh Ooh. had an actual replay cartridge which i used to use to uh to test code out and examine games and, and steal sprites from games and things like that so, um, <laughs> by steal he means yeah. borrowed to inspire him to learn to create yeah yeah that's what i yes. mean yes <laughs> um, uh the, the most advanced i got was using their shoot up construction kit as a sprite editor and a character editor and using yeah. the action replay to save that out so that i could use it in my own games nice um before that I, I did it all on paper i used to write programs on paper and hand assemble them 
And on standby, I used to do assembler pack with the old A0 instructions where I had to sort of directly put the JSRs in by putting the A0 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> See, so get very far. Anybody out there that is currently sat there thinking, you know, I'm PC gaming on a uh, uh, PC indie dev gaming or something. Um, this is the, this is why what these two guys just said. This is why I think part of the reason, at least, why there was so much sharing and caring going on, and still is in the C sixty four scene. Because some of us, even me, a little bit, but on the C sixty four, like I said, on the spectrum, we, we we went through some some serious shit that I I can now look back and think, why did I put my fingers and brain through that? It just makes no sense, you know. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's definitely part of the reason why there's a lot of sharing and love goes around because we we all feel that pain or used to feel that pain. And it's yeah. thirty five years. It is thirty five years. But Mike mentioned it did it twenty five years ago. Hence me um, me saying that it was fun. It was fun. It was it was definitely fun. Otherwise we we wouldn't have done it back then. And these two guys won't be doing it now if it wasn't fun. I'm quite I sure. Th I think that's why I do it now. Is is to bring back that nostalgia. The days when when coding for me was fun to do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't well, get that from modern systems. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you load your system up, you decide that you're going to do a bit of code, you end up on YouTube or you go down a rabbit hole, I'll switch Twitch on or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, before you know it, trials have gone. You've achieved absolutely nothing because you've got the entire world's information. <laughs> when you've just got this machine that's not connected to anything else in your room on a programmer's reference manual yeah. and an idea, yeah, I think that's, that's just a wonderful place to start to be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That is such a nerdy thing to say, and uh, we're all smiling <laughs> because we're all nerds. <laughs> um, I'm proud of it. <laughs> good, good. Um, as a look, questions, questions. Are there any platform-specific problems that arise from coding for the C64? Good one. Compared to, say, a PC console coding now, and how do you get past these? So, say, I noticed somebody was talking about, I'm not going to say who was talking about working in a Java runtime environment. Um, how does that compare to, say, coding for the C64? And, and are, are, there, are there differences? Can you switch from one to the other? Does one solve a problem? Can you just not get past some problems on the older systems? Um. I mean, I have to switch between them because it's my job. So, <laughs> so I, I have go. to I have to switch very often between JavaScript and and uh, and six five zero two. But yeah. um, do you find it I, easy I, to switch? Yeah, I mean they're so different. Um, yeah. I'd I'd be I'd have to be very drunk to start typing six five zero two in the middle of my JavaScript program, or vice versa. So I've seen your stream. Although that is, yeah, that is possible. <laughs> It's not. It's not unlikely, but um, <laughs> yeah, I tend not to drink like that at work. Yeah. I know I can. I know I tend to be able to code while I'm drunk, but I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to do that at work. So um, don't, don't test that theory. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I I think six five zero two is definitely limiting, uh, and there's a lot of stuff you can't do with it. Um, but most of it just comes down to the speed of the machine. The machine is really slow. It's one megahertz. Um, yeah. And it spends a lot of time actually drawing stuff and not giving you much time left over to actually calculate stuff. So yeah, um, I don't I don't think the language itself is a limitation. It's more the hardware limitations. Okay. Um, I think it's easier to learn uh, than the modern languages because you don't have a thousand libraries you've got to learn. You don't have a thousand build 
systems you need to learn. Yeah. Um, you just need to learn a handful of operands, how to compile it, how to run it. That's it. Um, then it's just down to practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And eventually it will all sink in and you'll be, you'll be writing games. Uh, with a modern language, that's not the case. You can, you can go on holiday for two weeks and come back and the whole ecosystem has changed and you've got a whole new library to learn and yeah. somebody's decided to switch your entire code base over to a new coding standard and it's just, yeah, it's, it's a very different world. Yeah. Mike, do you, do you tend to think the same? Yeah, I don't have much experience that much. I mean, I don't have any experience with, with most of the other language because uh, I've just simply never got into it. And it's that barrier to entry that's what's preventing me to do it. So the yeah. practical specific problem that the C64 is very simple is actually a real benefit um, because someone like me who doesn't have, I don't work in coding for you know, 20, 25 years, yeah. it's really handy for me to be able to use a system that's so simple because you can actually get stuff to happen. Flip mm -hmm. side of that is that some things that I would like to do are just interminably difficult with a Commodore 64. <laughs> and I mean, basic things like starting it up, putting something on the screen and making the screen scroll. It's something that now you'd have a library for. You, know, you don't write a 3D graphics environment for every single game that they create. They just yeah. do just change little bits here and there and put a new skin onto it. With yeah. the C64, you know, I've been literally learning things like how to scroll the screen, which isn't something that you can do. You know, out of the box, you can scroll the eight lines of the screen before it starts ripping and tearing. Yeah. So that's that's issue, but that challenge is actually quite an interesting challenge. Um, most of these sort of things that I found, I've, I've come up with sort of solutions myself just by reading and by, by working out how it goes. And I quite enjoy the fact that you've got these limitations because it makes you think about what kind of game you do. Now, there's no point trying to make um, a 3D game on a Commodore 64. Uh, <laughs> some people have with, with various things, but it's, it's not something you do. But if you actually accept these limitations and work on something that you think the system can do well, you can make some really, really cool stuff. And it's those limitations that make the games more interesting because you're not just making Doom for the 153rd time. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a, that's a good and valid um, explanation. I mean, you, you find a lot of modern games, and they run like ass on systems that are really, really powerful, especially compared to a Commodore sixty four. I mean, they're just not comparable. I'll be let's be honest. Um, and because they have the ability to put all of these things in them, very often they don't actually think about the end product. I think that's why a lot of modern games fail to inspire that's a good word for shit i guess um <laughs> because you know like you say you you've got an idea you, you you're on the c64 or other computers uh, of that era and you're making it and it either it tends to either run or it doesn't if it runs badly you tend to be able to fix it from my experience on a spectrum 30 odd years ago uh, and it, it was always a fairly easy fix, and it mostly just involved you making it a little bit simpler, as you say. So, and to be fair, if, if something, if a routine doesn't work on the common, delete it, write a new one, because you know the maximum amount of code that you stick into most games is going to be 10, 12k. The rest of it's data, so you know, you don't have these huge intertwining kind of complex. Um, so it, it is quite straightforward, and I think that just makes it such a an interesting challenge to program on because of that, because you've only got maybe 20 odd instructions. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Mike, just before we go any further, uh, your mic <coughs> keeps cutting out, at least it does for me. Uh, is, is there any chance you can fiddle or something? One second. Because you, you're saying all this cool shit and sometimes we then it's like that. <laughs> can you hear me now? Yep, we can hear you. 
Hopefully. We can start again. I'll switch to another microphone. Okay, cheers. It's not massive. It's just you're saying really interesting things and some of the things are kind of getting cut short. So it kind of spoils <laughs> what you're saying, if you know what I mean. Um, Simon, did you answer that question? I can't remember now. I got kind of sidetracked. <laughs> you did, didn't you? Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. You did, you yeah. did, you did. Right. Um, uh, when you're making a game, you, you both made new games recently. Both have been extremely popular and fun to play, at least within my circles. I guess I can't say for the circles outside of me. Uh, but in, on my stream and stuff, everybody's like, hey, this is cool. This is fun, you know, uh, being Dot Cosmos and Vegetables or Vegetables Deluxe. When you're making them, what what's kind of a key aspect for you guys in terms of uh, playability in the whole game and experience? What do you... I know they're very different games and you're very different game devs. So what, what, where do you go? What do you say? Okay, it needs to be dot, dot, dot. It has to do dot, dot, dot to make it fun and a game. Um, for me, it's... I, 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 oh, I'm getting some feedback from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, for me, it's... <laughs> Mike, is that your speakers? Ah, I'm just switching. That's really weird. <laughs> it's really hard really to talk hard. when you can hear yourself. I do think I feel. <laughs> I do this all the time. Um, yeah, for me, for me, the the most important thing in a game is is that it's it's playable. I mean, you know, there's there's some really um, terrible looking games out there that play really well, and yeah. likewise, there's some really great looking games that play awfully. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that the the thing that keeps people coming back and playing it is the playability above everything else. Okay. Um, but I also like to try and make something unique. Um, I think if you play a game and it, it's just it's just a carbon copy of another game, it's not going to stand out in people's minds. Yep. So to try and always add a little twist here and there just to make it stand out is, is for me, an important thing in, in making games. Oh, a bit like, a, I don't know, switching timelines. In a yeah. Sound game. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, when I first did that, I must admit, I was like, Oh, what, what the fuck is this on C64? <laughs> uh, that was really cool, Mike. Uh, what, what about you, Mike? So, I missed the question there because I was just adjusting my uh, sorry, uh, really dodgy, doesn't it? <laughs> 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 when, when you're making a game, what's what's the key aspect of the process for you in terms of playability and the game experience? What, what drives you to? kind of add elements what what is is it just to make it fun is to make it playable is to make it intriguing you know what 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 makes you find a game of your own that makes it good in your eyes to actually play for me it's just about making it fun if i possibly can i'm not yeah. going to be making it hugely complicated and mm -hmm. um, you know I, I i can't do much more than what i can do so i try to get games that i like to play my days of playing long complex games behind me now because <laughs> i've got a couple of kids running about and so on so yeah. much as i'd love to spend sort of five or six hours lost in the world of tomb raider or whatever i just don't have the time to do it right now yeah so what i tend to play myself is these kind of casual games so i'm trying to capture that kind of quick to pick up and play but that one more go kind of feeling yeah. So for me, it's about making something as as simple as I can, but not simply in a bad way, simply in a kind of a playable way. Like yeah. something like Tetris, which is probably have more hours of gameplay than any other game that's ever been created. Mm -hmm. It's such a simple concept. Yeah. Uh, if I could come up with a concept like that, I'd be more than happy. Well, you uh, kind of did. I can make the most original game in the world, but uh, <laughs> maybe in the future, maybe I'll come up with something uh, as interesting. 
Well, vegetables certainly has a one more go. You've watched my stream. I'm always... Okay, one more go. Fucking hate this. One more go. <laughs> I don't hate the game. You say you hate the game when you don't actually hate the game. It's when you love the game because you can't stop playing the goddamn game. Um, yeah, Vegetables Duck certainly has that. Um, that. That's cool. So so we got kind of a... Both of you want fun, which I guess is a, a no-brainer. But um, Simon likes to give it a twist, I guess. And uh, for Mike, it's uh, it's more of a one more go. Um, you, you two really need to make games together. I keep saying this, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be interested. Game children. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we can have alternate timelines on the Vegetables Match 3 game uh, where you can um, jump back into the past, into 8-bit to 16-bit or something. I don't know. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. This is why I'm a streamer and not a game it's, designer. I'm not a game designer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it took me 30 years to put in my first game idea and it turns out it's uh, quite a popular one anyway. <laughs> so it took me 30 years to put with Candy Crush after somebody else had already made it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Candy, Candy Crush was merely out there to get you to make your game. That's the way I like it. it was, Candy Crush was created to inspire Mike Richmond. Yeah? Just not. Yes. Yes, there we go. <laughs> it doesn't believe me, but it's true. It's true, guys. It really is. Um, okay, so as we've talked about, you you guys you guys have the odd game out. Uh, we've got Vegetables Looks. We've got Dot Cosmos 2 coming soon. More projects from both of you. And we kind of talked about this. I think I talked about this to Mike a little bit in my Discord. Will your games be hitting other systems? They're both on C64. Are they coming to anything else, if you can say? And if they are, what are they? Mike? I've made a little demo of vegetables on the Amiga yesterday. Just uh, yeah. I, I hit a brick wall in my C64 game that I'm developing. I wanted to do something simple. I just wanted to just, I, I went, I loaded up the Amiga just because I wanted to prototype some ideas. I don't have the skills to prototype in a modern language. So I thought, ah, Amiga, I can do that. Yeah. So I, I leapt onto there and, and just to sort of remember I'll see the language again, I'm not together a bit match three again. So I'll probably finish that. There's, there's maybe another afternoon's work to finish that off. So I think I'll probably finish that off. But um, that's my rate. Just to, I'm doing a bit of work on a couple of other Amiga projects, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 interesting. Um, coming to Amiga, unfortunately, I won't be able to play them apart from emulation. How about Dot Cosmos <laughs> or Dot Cosmos 2 or Parasol Stars? Can I even mention that game? You can mention it. I'm not sure how much you'll get out of me. So Dark Cosmos 2 is just for the C64, but um, I have considered looking into uh, PC Engine stuff in the future. Um, And Dark Cosmos would be a very suitable game for that so maybe yeah. i mean i'm not i'm not guaranteeing it but it's definitely a cough, system I'm mega drive cough oh yeah possibly <laughs> if you ever do a mega drive game i'm dying to do sound for a mega drive game the sound of mega drive. There, you go. Oh, there you go <laughs> live on hitch and twitch the ultimate combination music and game by um Mike Richmond and uh, Simon. I don't actually know Shalan's last name. Simon. Simon. <laughs> Jameson. Like si- the whiskey. Simon Jameson. There you go. I did know this. I did know this. I just forgot because I'm <laughs> old and stupid. Uh, by the way, in chat, somebody said Hitch looks so serious today. That was Emma. That's because I'm on painkillers. I am actually in pain right now. Um, but um, I'll, I'll be all right. I'm not dying of cancer, so I'm good. Um, right, Mike, I know you did the music for... Um, vegetables deluxe at least uh, and i know you obviously were inspired by me um 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. God, that northern humour, it's so flat. <laughs> uh, and I think, Shalan, I think you did your music for Dot Cosmos because you said yeah. you hated it. I, uh, I absolutely detest doing music. <laughs> so I, I know I know up here what I want to what I want to create, but it just doesn't come out. So I can't yeah. get it from here into into oh. music, especially on the Commodore as well. I mean, the limitations are ridiculous. So. I, I sense more uh, Mike Richmond uh, and, and Simon Jameson um, co-happenings here. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the preference? To, to I'm guessing Mike is going to be do your own because he has a huge background in that, and I'm guessing yours might be higher out. So, what's what's the preference between you both? Do your own, higher out, somewhere in the middle? Uh, yeah, higher out for me if I can. Um, Mike, I mean, I'll, job. I'll, I'll give it a shot, but yeah, <laughs> I give up quickly. Yeah, uh, Mike. Yeah, the only reason that I'm making games is was the reason I learned six five zero two was so I could use the SID chip because to understand how to write for SID, you need to understand things like um, the way that the, the buffer works and how the, the it's it's playing the commands, yeah. how it's all playing under interrupt. Um, and you need to understand some kind of technical things about how the chip works and how you actually program the different sound channels. Yeah. And you've got to understand tools complement negative numbers and various sort of techniques, which the simplest way for me to learn those was to learn 6502. The simplest way to learn 6502 is to write a game. So essentially, the only reason I wrote a game was because I wanted to do SID music because I always loved the chip and the sound of it. But it's uh, as Sam says, that it's a very, very, very difficult thing to sound good. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't appreciate just how good some of these musicians were that were working on before back in back in the day, until you have to go at it yourself and realise just how difficult it is to make it sound nice. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, talking music, do you have a particular musician that you love that inspired you for your work mm -hmm. on CC4 or Amiga? And uh, if you do, what are they most famous for? Uh, for me, it's probably uh, Chris Hulsbeck. I think uh, I, I love Chris Hulsbeck. Um, or um, uh, Matt Gray, probably okay. either of those two. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, and Rob Hubbard, of course, as well. I mean, pretty yeah. much everything that guy pumps out is amazing. So <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, yeah, those three. I know you said one, but there you go. You got three. No, three's fine. Three's fine. <laughs> um, I, I love Chris Hules back myself. I even like yeah. saying Chris Hules back. I, it's just his name yeah, is musical. Name. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, Mike, how about yourself? Beautifully. Uh, well, like like everybody else, I grew up listening to uh, Overcome and Ossie Toyers. Rob Hubbard was the guy who was doing the most impressive sounding things. It was yeah. so far ahead of what everybody else was doing on the system. Even probably now, people struggle to get a sound that's as good as uh, as that chip. Uh, I've picked a, a slightly different one, though, just to be a, a bit contrary. Um, I'm picking out Alistair Brimble on the Amiga. Oh, nice. Good uh, choice. Works yeah. for Team 17, so you've got Alien Breed, Super, all that kind of thing. And for me, he was the one that brought that kind of 8-bit melodic sensibility to the sound quality of the sort of 16-bit machines, yep. whereas a lot of people went down a couple of different routes with the 16-bit. Really, really bad music with really sort of cheap-sounding samples that just didn't really sound very good. Yeah. Oh, they had fantastic mm -hmm. sounds, but it was very techno. It wasn't a very melodic kind of era. I found that, that Alistair Brimble was probably the one who most successfully brought the two together and had these fantastic sort of modern-sounding soundtracks that still had that melody to them. Yeah, 
Okay, uh, talking about uh, soundtracks, your mic is cutting out, so it's probably best to change it. Here we go. <laughs> we love technical difficulties on the Hitching Show, on the Hitching Post podcast. Hitching Show? Jesus show. Christ. Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> Give us two sex, guys. This does happen. And while uh, Mike's sorting that, there you go. Look in Discord. Our very own Mike Richmond. Richmond Mike has a pre-order for his amazing games, Vegetable Deluxe. So you can go there and you can grab it, uh, which is excellent. Are we back? Not just yet. Simon, do you like the paintwork behind Mike? <laughs> I actually thought it was one of those really fancy, you know, that chalk painting where you can kind of mix it yeah. in. I was I was about to congratulate him on doing a good job, and apparently it's plasterboard. So, yeah. <laughs> That's very okay. good-looking plasterboard. It is very good-looking plasterboard. I mean, personally, I'd leave it like that. It, it has a very authentic, old-worldly look that uh, fits mm. the north of England perfectly well, I think. Um, we are just Mike's just got for the people listening to this on audio only podcast. Mike has just disappeared to find an alternative headset. Um, didn't know Mike lived in the Mediterranean exactly, exactly the, the North Mediterranean where, where yeah. they all speak Ibargum. <laughs> um, okay, while while he's disappeared for a second to panic, he's probably running about like a headless chicken right now. Uh, Simon. Parasol stars. <laughs> now it's miles off, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it, it's parked at the moment while I finish Dot Cosmos Two. Okay. Um, it's definitely going to be completed. Yeah. Um, that that's an absolute given. It's the next project I'm going to work do, on. Do you mean your wife's um, not going to burn the code as what happened with the previous guy, <laughs> if I remember rightly, something yeah. like that? Yeah. No, thankfully we've got we've got cloud storage now, so she'd have to. Uh, <laughs> She'd have to go up into the cloud and and destroy yeah. every server. So I mean, that's if you have a wife. As far as I know, the other guy had a wife and did that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to work on it. It's in a it's in a good state um, already. The I mean, the the demo video I posted out a while back shows kind of the state that it's in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I am working with. Um, a publisher who I cannot name, unfortunately, uh, okay. to try and acquire um, more rights to it so we can do this officially. Ah, um, okay. Um, so it's just a matter of time, kind of waiting for that, and then I'm sure there'll be an announcement at some point. There's a bit um, of bit of a bit of a legal um, quandary, I guess. Yeah, trying to sort out <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, we won't go yeah, too yeah. much into it. Uh, so, how about <clears throat> Dot Cosmos Two? How's that coming on? Uh, slowly, I've been kind of stuck in a rut this past month. Just keep trying to redo my rewind code over and over again. I, as I said last night on stream, I'm on my eighth iteration of the code. I think yeah. uh, just for that one feature. Oh wow! Um, I keep, I make it. I look at it. I go, oh, it's not quite right, and I try and change it again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, other than that, it's coming along really well. This is this is the last kind of core feature that I need to get into the game. Um, yeah. Everything else is kind of built upon the features that already exist um and then it's just a matter of, kind of building kind of enemy behaviors and boss fights and things like that and uh, just fleshing the game out really without spoiling it for anybody who's maybe played the first but hasn't seen anything about the second um what what kind of extra things does it have over the first one uh you mentioned shooting 
Yeah, so in the first one, I allude to the fact that um, Doc would have been better off bringing a gun with him because uh, yeah. he does spend most of the time kind of running away from enemies or jumping over yeah. them. Um, but due to the 16K limitation, I, I just didn't have the space to put that in as well as everything else yeah. uh, and keep the game the size it was. So, so yeah, in this one, he's got uh, he's got two weapons, actually. He's got, um, he's got a rifle, kind of laser rifle or some uh, whatever you might want to call it yeah. uh, for the modern timeline. Um, but then in the old timeline, he has like a scimitar uh-huh. um, that he can swipe at enemies with. So it's kind of fitting for the timelines as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's also, the game also scrolls as well, which is something that wasn't in the, in the first one. Um, it's also multi-level. Uh, there's uh, 12 levels, I think in total. Yeah. Um, uh, spread over four worlds. Um, yeah, that's, that's oh, and he's got the ability to freeze and rewind time as well. So as well as being able to change the timeline, you can freeze time and you can rewind time as well. Okay, that's pretty goddamn advanced over the first one. Were, were, were these all ideas that you kind of wanted to put in the first one? But as you say, limitations on 16 kilobyte just couldn't do it or did they come um, after? The only one that I wanted to put in the first one, but I couldn't do, was the the weapons. Yeah. Um, the the rest of it has just come about from um, building building the new game. Basically, I always knew I wanted to do a scrolling version of it. Yeah. Um, obviously, a, a scrolling game like that wasn't going to fit into 16k. Yeah. Um, but but the extra things like the freeze, the rewind, the boss fights, um, that those are all things that have kind of just kind of grown out of the, the idea, the seed of an idea when I, when I started. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, if anybody wants to watch Shalan's stream, Simon's streams, he, he breaks down games. He also shows making his games and things like that. Uh, twitch.tv forward slash Shalan. 50k if you're in the um, twitch channel right now you can see it. i will stick links on the audio podcast after mike unfortunately does not stream um i don't i don't, I don't think he, he wants to even be known publicly as uh as, as being a face on twitch and i don't blame him <laughs> um we may be getting some more action from mike in a bit i don't know if he knows his mic's on but it's definitely working <laughs> <laughs> we're still having technical issues so quick welcome to everybody else on the stream um hope you're doing well uh dadler welcome uh 2h strike welcome whitlock how you doing um we're currently chatting to shalan the 50k simon jameson and mike richmond who is richmond mike on twitter and twitch um or at least we're talking to one of them we will be talking to the other one soon and we're talking about c64s Game devin, favorite games, Amigas, music, and we even got a little bit of a Mega Drive in there, so that should please <laughs> you console types, which is kind of me too, since I have them all behind me. Uh, but yeah, I, real, I, would, I would love to play Doc Cosmos 2 on Mega Drive. <laughs> I don't know why, I just would. Uh, I think it's the whole fact of the not joystick for a start, <laughs> having a controller in your hand, and it, it does feel like a game that... Um, <laughs> That's actually been one of the tricky things about uh, the second one, because you've got timeline switching, shooting a weapon, freezing time, and only one fire button. So yeah. it's been it's been really tricky to get that all to work and feel natural on yeah. on the joystick. So so is it going to be um, like a hold fire press down, hold fire press up type thing? Or? Yeah. yeah. So so to freeze time, you hold fire and pull down. Yeah. Um, to shoot, you just press fire, and to change timelines, you hold down fire. 
Okay. Okay. So it feels fairly natural once you get used to it. It doesn't yeah. take too long. Um, it's going to confuse the hell out of me. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, I'm going to add two button uh, pad support as well. So if you do have a two button pad, okay, um, you will be able to use it for for, for jumping and things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, how much wine have you drank making these games? We're just basically fluffing this <laughs> podcast out right now. <laughs> um, well, I started I started the first Dark Cosmos while I was on holiday as well. It was just kind of my downtime when when we weren't doing anything. I'd just get the laptop out and do a little bit on yeah. that. So I was, I was probably drunk most of the time then anyway. So, um, <laughs> and then oh, there he is. Hello, he's back. Can you hear Can us? Can you hear me? Yes. Ah, You're a bit of... echoey, but if you don't cut out, that's perfectly fine. It tried to change the microphone. Pain in the... <laughs> the hell? He's still cut out. How do you manage that? <laughs> <laughs> you wonder why I keep my microphone. <laughs> um, okay, welcome back. Welcome back. Sorry, uh, I... My, no, it's all right. No worries. You've seen my streams. I have technical hitches all the day. Pun not intended. Uh, Mike is busily coding vegetables for modern systems while his video is off. Yeah, it's coming out on PS4 tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Someone in chat, maybe, wants to start making a game. Okay. Um, we're going to assume a game on, on systems that you guys are used to because the actual base game design it doesn't matter whether you're making it on ps4 zx spectrum c64 amiga mega drive turbo graphics wherever the game design is pretty much gonna be comparable across all, all platforms if not being able to be played in the same way due to hardware limitations and architecture what would you what, what advice would you give them uh how to start where to start um you know what what to start with do you start small do you get a grand design and just go big or somewhere in between that's to both of you uh mike i'm going to throw that one to you first because shalan's <laughs> probably spoke more than enough now that wasn't uh, an answer so we don't bother <laughs> <laughs> only kidding no it's um it can be tr it can be tricky and this is I always wanted to make a game. I never had the slightest clue where to start. The thing that, that eventually uh, took me over the edge, before at least, was um, Derek Morris's book, CBM PRG Studio Links thing, which just gave you some libraries and some things. If I was starting now, as of today, Challenge Podcast would be the place I would start, or his um, Twitch, just old fashioned I am. Uh, yeah, I'd be looking at something like that. Get Okay, hang, hang on, Mike. Hang on. He's still cutting out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, go into your user settings and go to your video and the attenuation bar. Lower that down because I think it's just not picking up your voice sometimes. That might be because I've just changed my... How's that? Well, we, we won't know until you keep talking. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. I've got a quiet voice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, it might it might not be in the uh, the headphones. It might be something at my end. So I'll turn it on to minus eighty one dB. Let me know if you need me to change it again. Okay. Okay. Right. Sorry. But, Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was starting now, Shalans Discord, Twitch, whatever <coughs> it's called, uh, Twitch series would be a great place to start. Uh, it goes right from the beginning. Teaches all the basics that you need to know. Really thriving community of people that can help out. 
Yeah. Uh, the ability to ask live questions while stuff's happening, that is absolutely fantastic. I've never seen anything like that before, and that is just such a cool idea. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, Simon. Sorry, I nearly called you Mike then. I'm getting confused. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, the, the same thing. Come and watch my podcast. Uh, see, I'm calling it a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, come, come and watch my Twitch. Uh, go and check out the videos on YouTube, all the VODs on Twitch, um, and just get involved with the, the community on Discord. Um, I would say if you, <clears throat> if you want to write a game, challenge yourself. Try and do something that's a little bit more than you think you can do. Yeah. Um, because then you will push yourself to learn new techniques. If you just do something because you know you can do it, you're never going to learn much. Yeah. You need to always be pushing to do a little bit more than you think you can do. Um, okay. And hopefully with the, the community that we've got set up now um, in my Discord and on Twitch, then you know there's going to be people there who can help you. Yeah. And I'm sure there's similar communities out there for the other platforms as well. It's, it's yeah. not just the Commodore 64. I couldn't tell you what they are, but they must be out there somewhere. Well, there's one for the Amiga, and I think that's pretty much it, to be honest. But, um, yeah, <laughs> unless, you, unless you're talking about GitHub and stuff, I guess they have communities for the more modern systems mm. and stuff like that. Um, how about the actual game design aspect of it? Would you Do you need an idea, or can you get an idea from say watching your streams or reading uh, watching a youtube or reading a book are there any things out there that can actually inspire that or do you have to have some semblance of a clue up top before you even start ah good question i i think for me that my ideas come from playing other games on the system so dot cosmos came from uh, montezuma's revenge that's where that was born from Right. I, I played I played that game a lot, um, and I I played it again recently when I came out to the Commodore, and yeah. when I saw the 16K competition, I thought I want to make a game that's like Montezuma's Revenge. So I set about doing that, and then the game design kind of evolved from that. It was about trying to find a way to make it unique and yeah, um, and and put my own little twist on it. But yeah, um, if for game ideas, play other games from the system. Um, it's, it's hard to make a completely unique game nowadays. You're it always going to have to start with a kind of a base that, uh, that borrows from another, another game or another genre. Yeah. Um, but you'll find once you start doing it, you, you come up with ideas that make it unique, that, that add your own little flair and your own little twist to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, just, just play lots of games okay. and stream it as oh, well. Yeah, <laughs> definitely stream it. And give it to streamers. There's this really cool one called Hitch on Twitch. H-A-7-C-H. <laughs> it's me. Send it to me. I'll play it. <laughs> uh, Mike, anything to add? I think, uh, on side, if you can't come up with an idea, because I'm not feeling particularly uh, creative very much, what I've tried to do is, um, with my first game anyway, I kind of assumed that Match 3 games went back years and years and years and that there'd be an absolute wealth of them and that they started back on the C64. Turns out they didn't. You know, it's quite a modern thing. So when I was trying to find the C64 version of the Jeweled, the one one, so I thought, well, there's something I can do. And I originally set out to make a little platform game like everyone else is doing, flick screen platform game, jump about, collect stuff. And I was all set to do that. And it was my little boy just kind of, he has to play vegetables on my phone, uh, which is what he calls Candy Crush, because he thinks vegetables <laughs> on there. And that was just when I kind of the idea, ah, there's a coding challenge for me. We've not got too many screens flying about, not so much you know, going on on the screen. Yep. Um, a relatively challenging programming problem because you've got this 8x8 grid that you're looking for matching shapes on. 
that I thought yeah. might be quite hard to do on 6502 with its sort of lack of capabilities, as it were. Yeah. And so for me, that, that was the way that I stretched myself there was by, by in the absence of coming up with a really cool creative idea, I thought, well, if I can create something new for this computer that hasn't been done before, mm-hmm. right, games like it have been done before, but not like that, yeah. I get a bit of a challenge, plus, you know, the community gets a game that they currently can't play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a very, very good game it is, as I keep saying. Both these guys make great games. Check them all out. Um, we were talking to Simon while you were uh, rummaging around trying to find a better mic um, and headset, by the looks of it. Um, your game, Vegetables, when it came out on the RGCD 16 kilobyte dev competition, I think I got that title right. Um, <laughs> when, when you did Vegetables Deluxe, it is... We were talking about this for Dot Cosmos, the difference between Dot Cosmos and Dot Cosmos 2 yeah. due to limitations and things like that. When you did Vegetables Deluxe, was that you just found new ways to do it or did you have the same issue where you just could not fit on those high-res graphics and things like that? So you, you, you kind of waylaid that. Did, did you have a plan to then maybe enhance it later or? Yeah, well, the way it worked for me is, is Vegetables is the first game I've ever finished on any system ever. I've never completed a game before, uh, the, the first Vegetables game that I did. Yep. So that was my way of learning how to use the Commodore 64 high-res graphics. You know, I didn't know how to do that. I knew how to do CUP style, low-res graphics. Yeah. So I went what I was comfortable with, and I made a, a basic game. Um, the IGCD competition was my way of kind of spurring myself on to finish it. So I thought, I can do this. You know, people sat in the bedrooms at the age of 12 and learned how to program Commodore 64s and make the games that I know and love. If yep. I at 40 years old can't work out how to put together something of similar quality, then I'm, I'm kind of wasting my life, I thought. So that was the kind of the spur of it. The IGCD competition was the way to finish it off. And what I did with that is I just worked to, uh, I made the game, I did the most basic kind of game that I could to make it playable, yep. and then entered into the competition so that I'd completed that. Then I thought, oh, what if I could do a little bit extra, a little bit extra, a little bit extra? Yeah. And so I had the idea of putting in the different game modes, the better quality graphics, putting some in-game music. Well, that's yeah. my idea, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, I thought about putting these extra bits in, and then I thought, oh, let's try and add that in and add that in. And so gradually I started building on what I did, started rewriting it. And you know, I rewrote everything right down to the matching routine that's the core of the game. And yeah. so it was like this kind of trigger's broom thing where I just gradually replaced bits until it was a completely new thing. Yeah, By that point, it was great in the 16K, so I wasn't going to go into the competition. So... Um, <laughs> That's kind of where I ended up with it. But it was just about tinkering and thinking, uh, as I was learning how to do new techniques and reading about new things and having new ideas, it was just to, to pump it into the game and just kind of build it iteratively. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So it was kind of, I guess, feature creep, but the good kind for both of you, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think, think feature creep often. Yeah. Sorry, go on. What's, what's fun with something like the C64 is if you start off by thinking, I want to put X, Y, and Z into the game, you'll very quickly run into limitations in terms of what the machine can do. Yeah. Or you'll come into problems that are too hard to solve. That's for me to solve, like multi-loads and stuff. It's not something that I've got any desire to do. Yeah. But this kind of idea of, sort of keep adding stuff until you run out of room, I really like that. I think that's kind of a fun way of making uh, games. Yeah. In a way that in the modern systems, it's not, because you just put an extra level in or more graphics, and it's, it's easy to throw another thing in. With yeah. C64, because of the limitations that it's got, it's actually quite a challenge just to fit those things in. Then you have to start thinking about compression routines. and There's yeah. lots of cool programming challenges that come out of it that are quite enjoyable to solve. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when I used to do Spectrum and BBC stuff, for me, it was always things like, how long is it going to take to actually load everything? 
and how yeah. big a tape am I going to, you know, I'm not going to use a C30 for one game. But surprisingly, <laughs> I did very often on some things, you know, yeah. a lot of loading, a lot of loading. Uh, so that that was my limitations and cutbacks, but um, cool. Um, right, guys, back, back to your games, which we've kind of been talking about anyway. Say one nice thing about the other guy's game and one complaint, and you've got to be completely honest <laughs> and you're not allowed to fall out with each other, okay? So... <laughs> Mike, Mike on Shalan, and then Shalan and Mike for a nice, and then Mike on Shalan and Shalan and Mike for a, for a complaint. <laughs> this is going to be juicy, guys. Get ready to clip this. You've got to find something nice to say. <laughs> Scrolls down the long list. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, and I, and I do genuinely mean this, and I'm not just trying to butter it up. I think that the, the basic game conceit behind Dot Cosmos, the basic idea of that sound switching, is one of the most original and cool ideas that I've seen in any game. They've manned up any 8-bit game. It's just one of the coolest ideas I've seen in the game for such a long time. So yeah. for me, that's absolutely hands down one of the things. And I think that that unique selling point just sets it head and shoulders above every other game that I've played on the system recently just because it's such a cool thing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Damn. You're going to have a hard time beating that one. Yeah, I am, unfortunately. <laughs> um, for me, Vegetables is is a very addictive game. Uh, as Hitch has already said, it's it's hard. once you start playing it, it is very hard to put it down. Um, oh, it's also very <laughs> difficult as well. I'm not very good at match three games. I get really stuck on them. Yeah. Okay, can I just <laughs> so... interrupt a second, Mike? Fuck you for adding countdown. Okay, back to you, Sam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh... I'll put a video online for you just so that you can see how easy it is to get high score. Ah, sod off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Simon, carry on. <laughs> yeah, so so for me, that's it. He's, he's managed to capture the, the kind of addictive essence of the, the Matt's Reed game and translate it really well to the Commodore. Okay, now... He now, should be very proud of it. it yeah, yeah. I, I, I know agree. he puts himself down a lot and he really shouldn't. He does. He puts himself game. down a lot. I don't code. I'm not very good. Mike, just... your game is immensely addictive. Um, send, send him some love, guys, in chat. Send him some poggers. Send him some hype. Um, okay, this... <laughs> This was always going to be a bit iffy, but uh, Mike, can you say one honest complaint about um, Dot Cosmos? Yeah, I think the thing that I don't like about Dot Cosmos is that it's too short. And uh, I'm hoping that's something that's going to be resolved in that, the. That's, uh, in that's, a, that's a nice complaint. It's, uh, it, it is, it's, it's quite a short experience, which, to be fair, is about right for me. I've, I've not finished it, but I've, I've seen it played to completion. Yeah. Otherwise, I've cheated uh, and watched videos <laughs> and stuff. But. Um, but yeah, it's. I think that world. I wanted to spend more time in it. I think that it's going to be great to see the new game, so I can spend more time playing about in that little uh, that little world there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that's. I don't really think that's much of a complaint, but okay. It's more of a compliment. <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> um, Simon. Um. So I, I was thinking about this the other day because you did send me the the questions for this, and this yeah. was the one I couldn't actually. For me, it, it's kind of, it's almost, I don't know if this is a compliment as well, but the mushroom <laughs> reminds me, um, not of a mushroom, but of a skull. A and skull, in yes. In particular, <laughs> it reminds me of um, a character called Boney from Trapdoor. Oh, God, yes. Program. Yes. Um, so not really a complaint, just kind of an observation, really. <laughs> yeah. I, I was playing the Trapdoor game, actually, recently. I probably just stole the graphic straight from that without realising. <laughs> Does that mean the aubergines are actually the big blue dude? What was he called? Bert? Bert, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can be whatever you want them to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not really complaints, but you know what? If 
in, and I'm not going to answer this question. I love both your games, and I don't have any complaints about them. I'm not nasty. I don't think it's too short. Or it looks like a skull at all. I'm not the one that mentioned that on stream. First time I played it. Um, I really did the entire graphics of my first game because you thought it looked like a banana when I drew my carrot. Which is just the I'm sorry, that's so. still a banana. What you that do you orange? <laughs> <laughs> just here to brown. And probably to reiterate what Hitch said, mushroom isn't a vegetable. But, you know... <laughs> But kids don't eat them, so I guess hashtag, yeah. hashtag because kids. <laughs> oh, you're, cool. just, you're just thinking of six vegetables that look different to one another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's green circles. Yeah, the humble Brussels sprout, I guess, could have gone on there, but who'd want to match them anyway? It'd be in an instant turn-off for that game, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> All right, going back to the C64 and retro sales in general. Um now, I, I've discussed this, and I don't want to get too much into it, but I've found there's a lot of shovel... In 2018, C64 was, in my opinion, probably the peak of its years ever. I, I really do think that. Even though, I mean, uh, Sam came out in 2016, I think, or 2017. Uh, but for me, 2018, last year, maybe it's because I just got into it. I don't know. So it could just be that speaking. But I found that was the peak. And I was thinking, I always said in 2018, God, can you imagine how great 2019 is going to be? And it's 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 not proved itself to be, bar, I don't know, a couple of games from you guys maybe. Um, it's not really proved to be as phenomenal as, as I was hoping. And there seems to be a lot of shovelware coming out on the C64 right now. It's, it's as I termed in the question, it's a bit of a puddle for mediocrity in 2019. With either overpriced games, which never actually came out, a particular game, you you will know which one I mean. That uh, mm. yeah yeah, Toxic Dev, <laughs> uh, or games that should simply never have been charged for. Now me and Mike have talked about this before, that kind of offhandedly in Discord that there's a lot of games out now that would have been classed as PD, and uh, back in the day, and people are still expecting one ninety nine, two ninety nine, not massive amounts of money by any chalk and i'm not saying they don't deserve any form of cash for them um but there's there's this mini entry level for a lot of shit games in my opinion did you see the same thing or or is is it just a personal opinion and and if it is do you think it's an issue or could be an issue because we look at things like the wii and that's a shovelware system and people put it down i don't want the c64 to be put down because of people thinking it's just getting crap releases, a bit like it was in 2014, 2013, when the C64 made a, a bit of a comeback. What do you guys think? It's, it's a bit of a, a, a tetchy question, I know, but uh, either one of you. I'm prepared to be, uh, to be bold on it. I think that for the last few years on the C64, there's been a small group of coders, graphics, music people that have been producing a lot of stuff, and they've been keeping the machine alive to a certain extent. Yeah. And I think as they've produced more and more games, I think that the expectations of the system have become more. So you're getting people that are producing games that are being charged for, the selling copies of those games. I can understand why when they produce their next game, they think, well, I've got to charge for this one too. Yeah. Personally, I don't think that there's any kind of a deliberate attempt of, let's just chuck something really, really basic together and hope that somebody will buy it. Even the ones that, that you know, there's a couple that you've not particularly liked that I've actually quite, quite enjoyed. Uh, I quite enjoyed Run Demon Run. 
uh, and I quite enjoyed even that um, that sexist game, which I forget the name of. Man Cave. Man Cave. I quite enjoyed that game. I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was all right in terms of, of a Commodore sixty four game. Uh, so I think opinions can differ on it, but what I've found with all of these, even the worst of these games, are actually a lot better than a lot of the games that came out when the C sixty four was around. You know, yeah. If you were around the C64 and kind of the late 80s, early 90s, there were a lot of really bad games going out on that system where they were trying to be, you know, copy the 16-bit games and fail them miserably. Yeah, yeah. I think I... that if there's a mismatch of quality, a lot of it because there's some really, really good new developers joining the scene. I okay. think that when you see games like Dr. Cosmos that have come kind of from nowhere, and all of a sudden they've raised the bar of what, what is considered to be a, a good C64 game. Yeah. I think that that's both grown the system and helped it, but I think it's also kind of made some of the other games make you think, well, if this one's free... Why are they charging for this one? And I think that if these great new games hadn't have come out and the scene hadn't have grown, I think yep. it would have continued as it was and not have been a problem. So for me, I can live with it for now. I don't think it's a great deal. Because at the end of the day, if you don't want these games, don't buy them. <laughs> but um, I think there's enough sort of new developers coming onto the scene. There's enough kind of new games coming out. But uh, I think hopefully it'll be all right. I think we'll get over it. Okay. You see, I, I like that. I like that. I, I can actually get behind that and change my opinion. Definitely could definitely more side with you than the side that has been negative on my side, which is one reason why I didn't want to bring it up. But at the same time, I do think negativity needs to be brought up as well, because then we can push past it, like you've just said. How about you, Simon? Um, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I think that, as Mike said, there's been a kind of a small group of developers and designers uh, that have been writing the games. Um, and of course, once they've sold a couple of real big sellers then they're they're going to start charging for all their games this 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 is just the nature of these things yeah um and as as mike says there's a lot of new devs coming to the scene now mm-hmm. and they're producing some really really good stuff stuff that's definitely worth shelling out for yeah um i i think i think the scene nowadays kind of mirrors what we were seeing in the late 80s the early 90s we're, we're getting the same kind of ratio of of good games to bad games it's just that the the, the bar for uh, good is a bit higher than it yeah. was back then. We expect more from the games now. Yeah, um, I, I think. Yeah, I think if we if we start seeing more more magazines kind of taking on reviewing these games, so that consumers can kind of get some hopefully not bought reviews as well, but hopefully they can get um a, a good kind of honest opinion about games, so they know yeah. what what's worth shelling out for and what's not. Um, that's something that's kind of lacking at the moment. There are one or two places you can go for that, uh, but we certainly don't have the the review scene like we used to. No, I agree. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that kind of takes off as well as the as the game. I've noticed as well the review scene tends to, and I don't like this, uh, and I think this does is part of the problem. The review scene, for reasons I've heard and I can agree with, but still disagree with. Um, you review a good game because it's a good game. But if you're going to say negative things, you some don't because they're scared it'll affect the scene. Yeah. But in, in, in my mind, that's bad. I'm going to say journalism, even though everybody's just a blogger nowadays. Um, I, I actually think that's a, a bad thing and will affect it negatively because I think you need to say, you know, this is just a 6 out of 10, this is this is a 9 out of 10, this is a 5 out of 10, this is a 7 out of 10, whatever. I mean, it's arbitrary anyway, and it's all based on your own personal opinions. Mm. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think we need, I think that will probably solve it quite a bit, especially if the reviewers actually reviewed everything and gave a very honest, non-bought mm. opinion. I don't know if there are bought 
uh, reviews on C64. I I'm not sure there's money in it to do that. No, I'm going to say anymore. I suspect there's not. No. <laughs> I can, I can. And the Magic Next made a good point there where he's talking about there's no try before you play, which is actually a really good a really good point, is that you're having to buy a lot of this stuff blind without yeah. any idea of, of whether or not it's going to be for you. Yeah, I, I think very deliberately gave a free version of my game away so that you can try yeah. it, decide if you want to play it and if you want to pay for it. But I think, yeah, yeah if, if you can shell out, even though it's not a lot of money, Still a tenor, yeah. he's still a tenor, isn't it? It's yeah. more than you're yeah. going to pay for your little mobile game. D definitely, especially because I refuse to pay for mobile games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although I might do if they took the adverts out, but anyway, that's for a different one. That's for a different podcast. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, I wish Shareware would make more of a comeback. I don't know if that's possible nowadays on C64. I don't really see why it isn't. Oh, yeah, you know, play the first level. You can go on itch.io, you can, you can give the opportunity if people wish for them to make a donation. I've made about $30, $40 out of my game, which yeah. is better than nothing. That was what inspired me to do the full commercial release, was just because obviously 800 people downloaded it. People actually want to play this game. Yeah. Why not do a little bit more? Yeah. Well, I doubt I'll do another commercial game after this one, but certainly, you know, it's not going to stop me making games for the system. I'm quite, I, I quite like the idea. I used to work on a lot of shareware stuff back on the Amiga. I think it's a really cool way of buying stuff. And I think it's really sad that it's gone. Yeah, same. Same. I mean, when back in the day, I used to get my PD discs, and they always included a shit ton of shareware. I'm talking about legal PD here, not the other kind that you get from your from your supplier. <laughs> Doom's a shareware game, aren't it? Yes, yes. Uh, and and look at Doom. You know, we <laughs> if there's a game that's ever had an effect on the gaming marketplace uh, and the gaming genre in you know in itself, then uh, Doom is definitely up there with possibly yeah, the biggest the, one. The fact that anyone could pick up a copy of Doom and play a bit of it without yeah. having to shell out 30, 40 quid um, and then worry about whether or not it would work on their PC, etc., etc. Yeah. That was a major, major reason that game got into everybody's house, basically. Yeah, uh, Pixels of Doom Gaming is well never well. Doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think it, it spawned an odd sequel or two, and mm. I don't know, something about id. Oh, that's a stupid yeah. name, but they'll never and go some, anywhere. Some game genre, I think they call it first-person shooter, I think came out of that Yeah, as well, so. yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, I'd rather put my stuff out free and have 500 people play it than have 20 people pay for it. I think that's pretty much how these two guys would agree with yep. it. Uh, especially on I've got a game out you can buy right now. It's fulfilled my ambition in that I'd like to have a game that comes out in a box. It'd be great if people want to buy it, but if they don't want to buy it, that's, yep. that's, that's absolutely fine as well. You know, it's not going to stop me from producing for the system. Yeah. Would that be a game that I'm getting on floppy in a yellow box and I'm going to be unique? Hopefully. Retro. Retro. I'm looking at you in <laughs> chat. I see you. Yeah, just <laughs> um, Cool. Okay. So we think in general that more reviews, more people out there, ignore the shovel work. We will get past it. Yeah. I, 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 remember most of the games that i played um back in the day i played because i played demos that came on cover tapes yeah. so that that's how my first experience of these games were i rarely went out and spent the the 10 yeah. 15 pounds on a full price game without trying the demo first exactly and it's same. a shame we don't have that anymore yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it was not exactly difficult to do there's a lot of these there's a lot of things we can do with these games that are coming out now to release them for free on on sites like itch um, yeah. where mm. people can play uh, you know, a, a short five-minute demo of the game, a one-level demo, something like that. It's it's a yeah. shame it's not done anymore. And I know people agree argue that, like people like me, streaming games, let's plays on YouTube, things like that. We we have took the replace of those kind of demos. But honestly, <laughs> I'm kind of 
spite of my, my my own face here to say this, it's not the same. It doesn't work. If you see me playing a game, it will not give you the feeling of what it's like for you to play the game. And I go on Run Demon Run on Man Cave. Bought both those games. Absolutely hated them. Thought I'd love them. Uh, sadly, I didn't. Barnsley Badger, though. That's fantastic. I don't regret Barnsley that one. Badger is good. Yes, yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's not... definitely worth the money, that one. Yeah. <laughs> I just love those kind of games. It, that, 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 that old school, that just harks back to my days in the 80s and 70, late 70s, early 80s. Watching streams does help. No, it does help. I'm not saying it doesn't help. I'm just saying that it's not a replacement. And many people think that there is. And I honestly don't think it is. So don't watch me anymore, basically, is what I'm saying. Hang on. Okay, log it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Mike, favorite C64 game, old or new? Go. Can I have one old, one new? Yeah. I just want one. No, no, one old, one new, okay. then go on. Go on. My favorite old game, International Karate. Yep. Um, one of the first games I ever got on the C64, played it for hours, love that game. Favorite new one, uh, Super Carling the Spider on Cytronic. I think it's brilliant. Huh. I don't know that one. Don't know me either. <laughs> little single screen platform game, tiny little sprites, free download, and it's absolutely ace. It's so good I went and bought a copy, which is exactly proving the point we're talking about here about try before you buy. Yeah. So I bought a copy yeah. on disc because I loved it so much, and it's just a really fun old school single screen platform game. Okay, well, I love single screen platforms, so please jot that one on Discord afterwards because uh, I'll go look. Don't do it now because you'll probably disappear off stream. That does happen. Um, <laughs> Simon. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, no, Simon, holding you. Favourite uh, old game, Turrican 2, without a doubt. Uh, Manfred Chenz was an absolute genius, and that game is is probably the, the pinnacle of what can be done on that system. Yeah. Um, also, it's really good on the Amiga as well, so <laughs> I, I like both of them. It's one of the few Amiga games I can actually play to death, so... Yeah, um, yeah. And typically, it's one of those games I just can't seem to get behind. It just doesn't work for me. But yeah, people either love it or hate it. But, yeah, um, it is technically it's an amazing game. Yeah. It's, I, I want to yeah, love it. I think it's just because I'm crap at it. To be honest, I just can't play it. <laughs> I'm, I just die. So uh, new. Uh, it's got to be Sam's Journey for me. Yeah. Uh, I think, in terms of kind of the, the a well crafted game, there isn't anything that comes close to it. It's it's just it's so well made. Yeah, it's a beautiful game. The soundtrack is amazing. The graphics are amazing. The the depth yeah. and the, the the size of the game is amazing as well. Uh, uh, that, a really really good job by those guys. That's the game that um, I said this. I didn't even know the the main dev was in my stream, and uh, I actually called it a Super Mario World beta, and I stick by <laughs> that. I really do stick by it that. Is, it's it's that good. It is yeah. really really amazing. And anybody who hasn't played it should absolutely get it now. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's it's that one game <laughs> that I'm always saying is overpriced because I do think $24 for a digital download is overpriced. I'm sorry, especially when you get it for like 35 on a cart or whatever. Um, but at the same time, it is worth it. It's kind of annoying. I think there's a fear in me that everybody's games are going to start coming out at $25. And I that means yeah. I can't afford half the C64 games I want. Um, so maybe it's selfishness. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's expensive, but by God, it's a good game. I must admit, it is yeah. a good game. So, and it's not like for the money you're getting a short game; you're getting a very no. long game. There's Twelve a hours. Lot of in there. Twelve yeah. hours I put into that, and I'm not That's I'm huge. not the fastest gamer as most people know, but because because I look at every single thing for a start, which doesn't help. <laughs> 
It's uh, bigger than a lot of modern console games. That's the is. crazy thing about it. It lasts it longer. Yeah. yeah. A lot of them are only five or six hours these days, aren't they? Yeah. 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 Which, at the same time, I like because as a streamer, five, six hours is one stream. So I start and finish a game in one go. That's kind of cool. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I love Sam's journey. We, we can all bow to Sam's journey, I reckon, quite easily. <laughs> um, Coconut says I miss demos so much as well as the cover discs. Yeah, I mean, the demos were on the cover discs and uh, bigger than Doom 3. That is true, actually, yes. It took me more streams to finish Sam's journey on C64 than it did Doom 3 on PC. <laughs> it's not scary, though, but it is it's better than Doom 3. <laughs> but this, it's better than Doom 3. It's scary good. That's, uh, it's that's... scary good, yes. Uh, maybe that's part of what we were talking about with the um, with the shovelware thing. I, I compare games to Sam's Journey, to Dot Cosmos, to you know Vegetables Deluxe in, in in the case of a Match Three game. Which you're right, there are no other competitors. You have literally cornered the market on that one, Mike. Um, so when something comes along that I personally, I'm not going to throw out a name, but I personally think it's all generic and a little bit dull uh i'm just like yeah this shovelware should be free so yeah i'm, I'm going with you guys I'm, I'm i'm wrong and uh these these games are worth money and uh we will get past it okay what is your preferred format for media on c64 and why digital floppy cartridge for your releases or for you playing these releases or just for working with in general and what do you think to the likes of the Pi 1541 that has helped bring uh, mass media storage and stupendously easy and fast loading to original hardware? Uh, Shalan. Um, my personal favorite is cartridge. I, I just think we're the machine could always run a cartridge. That's That's always been part of the hardware. It's not like the cartridge is a new thing. Um, the technology that goes into the cartridges now is a is a bit newer we're using kind of surface mount chips and things like that but yeah. um yeah for me it's it's got to be the cartridge um i do have a soft spot for my 1571 though um it is quite nice but it's just painful it's painfully slow to be honest <laughs> <laughs> for a disk yeah. drive um and for the pi 1541 i think it's a, an amazing idea um these drives the, the old 1571 and 1541s they're very delicate machines and they they don't last very long before they break unless you look after them very well. Um, yeah. And I've had probably three or four um, that I've been sent in the post when I've been fixing machines that have broken in transit. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think the 1541 stories. is good. Yeah. So it, it kind of helps helps people experience the pain of the 1541 without the pain of repairing a 1541. <laughs> yeah. so. I agree. I agree. Uh, Mike? Uh, yeah, I, when I'm playing games on the C64, I'm pretty much 100% digital now. Uh, I bought a C64 Ultimate. I've got every game that was ever released with the system, and then some more on a little USB stick plugged inside the machine, like a big hard drive. Yep. I want to play a game, I switch it on, I play a game. Yep. So for, for, for convenience of, of playing, that's great. So Pi 1541 and stuff, absolutely fantastic in terms of, of that. For collecting, you can't be putting a cassette tape into a deck and pressing yeah. play and, and yep. that tactile feel of doing it. So every now and again, I'm a masochist. I'll, I'll load a game from tape just to play it, even though I've got the digital version of it, because that's a nostalgia trip all in itself. Yeah. No. But um, uh, as, as Simon says, the, the old hardware is so delicate now. And I've got a 1541 too. 
um, disk drive. About half the disks I've got work. About half of them work some of the time. Yeah. So I've got it. It's a nice thing to collect. I've got some cool things like I've got you know, a box copy of Elite, and I've got um, you know the thrust on disk, which is which was, I thought was pretty cool thing to have. But yeah. if I want to play it, I play it off the fifteen forty one Ultimate. Yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of in between both of you. Um, I do tape streams because I love tape streams. I find nothing better than sat there for 20 minutes watching a load screen for it to only fail at the end. But <laughs> I can talk the iron legs of a freaking donkey. So I guess it doesn't matter so much for me. Um, but when I'm buying your games, uh, Mike's uh, Vegetables Deluxe, buying it on floppy. Um, I got new games on floppy. Um, I have a 15.12. I have two. Uh, we won't go into the experience of my first one because a bit like <laughs> Simon's, it broke in transit and it pissed yeah. me off quite yeah, a lot. Yeah, they're incredibly delicate. <laughs> mm. This new one does seem to work. Um, and I think I have the Pi 1541, as most of you guys know, uh, and I love digital and I love that convenience. But exactly as Mike said, loading it in on the tape or on a floppy, it, it adds a factor that you just don't get on a modern system um and it it's it's tactile it's it, it's really hard to explain put into words you guys who do this are gonna know it's gonna be oh yeah i know exactly what i mean you guys who are just sat there going no just digital you're not gonna quite get it it's the, the thing is as well is if you only do digital you're missing out on a whole world of kind of loading screen bitmaps loading yeah. screen music it's a whole experience in itself and a lot of the best tunes i listen to from people like matt gray and, and stuff were loading screens they yeah. weren't they weren't actually in the game they were they ocean were the loading, loading screens, screens on cartridges and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. that i think is that you have to listen to it yeah the reason they're so embedded in our collective minds of people of our age is because we had no choice you couldn't just skip through it whereas with a modern game it's instantly on you press fire you play the game and that's the end of it yeah. we had no choice but to sit for three minutes and listen to this stuff and i think that that was an experience in itself yeah yeah yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. It's also what Pixels at Dawn Gaming says. I love the clunk when I put the disc into the oh, Amiga. Yes. This, yeah, I, I was streaming a tape stream on C64 a, a few weeks back, uh, actually a few months back. And um, I didn't even have the thing on cam, but I popped the lid for the tape and two people in chat were going, oh my God, is that the sound of a real tape drive? I'm like, yes. <laughs> they, that, that's, that's that. Oh, yeah, clunk. It's solid. It's real. It's like, okay, I'm about to actually do something with my life that involves real things and it's not just look, turning on a PS4 or whatever, which I love PS4, so I'm not slating that either. Uh, yeah, okay. So that's, that's cool. Um, I, I personally don't like cartridges on Commodore. I can't get the fact out of my head that they're supposed to go on consoles. Uh, now, I guess there is the Commodore GS, but no, uh, no, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we we'll just think if anybody has one and they want to send it me, feel free. But I have to be honest and admit that it's worth about £300 now, so you're probably best not to. Yeah, I believe there's at least one game on that where Ocean made it, you had to press space to get past a certain part of it, which you couldn't do because it was on the console. So. <laughs> really? Oh my yeah, God. No, I I know that. Some of the you yeah, could... Ocean devs might remember. Yeah, you, you could do it by swapping the joystick into port yeah, pressing, pressing fire. fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, guys, guys in chat, do you have any questions for these wonderful people? I did actually see one. Uh, Pixels at Dawn Gaming asked, what is the biggest challenge of coding for retro systems and what one coding thing 
would you take from modern system to use on C64 Amiga? That's about six sentences up if you want to read that on the actual chat. And if you guys want to stick other questions in while these two are answering that one, that'd be cool. Uh, so yeah, what's what's the biggest challenge in coding for retro systems? We might have covered this already. And what one coding thing would you take from modern systems to use on C64 Amiga? Um, I think that the biggest challenge is, is as I mentioned earlier, is, is just the, the kind of lack of capabilities on the machine. Um, you know, eight hardware sprites is not a lot. <laughs> and if you want to do anything meaningful with it, you have to use all these fancy tricks to, to make it look like there's more. Yeah. Um, as for something I take from the modern machines, my kind of wish has almost been granted with the C64 debugger, which is I'd like a decent debugger. Uh, yeah. It's something I never really had, and it's something I get very used to in my day-to-day -day work. I'm working in Chrome and using the dev tools there. Yeah. So having the C64 debugger come along and kind of change the way I look at, look at code um, mm -hmm. as I'm developing it has been a bit of a game changer for me. Um, so my wish has kind of already been granted in that case that's good nice <laughs> mike i just i just oh, wish sorry. it wasn't quite as buggy it's a little bit buggy at the moment so yeah. a buggy debugger yeah <laughs> so you need, need a debugger debug to debug the debug yeah yes. <laughs> can you debug itself anyway mike <laughs> yeah uh, same for me the challenge of it is the limitations it's it's if you want to do anything really really simple on it it's really really hard so things that you take for granted with modern systems, like a print command, you know, just to print something <laughs> onto the screen. Yeah. There's nothing of the sort uh, in the C64. If I could bring one thing from modern systems to use on the C64, or probably the Amiga would have really benefited from this the most, it's the constant access to hard drives. So when I was working on the Amiga, working with floppy disks, if I wanted to make a, a bit of software, I'd have to put the disks into the thing to run the coding program and code that. Realised I needed a picture, so although the, the Amiga could multitask really, really well, you'd still have to kind of take the discs out, load another thing up, and mess about. What I love in my modern PC is that I can have everything set up all at once. I can do a little bit of graphics, drop it into the, the game, see how it looks, yep. load it back into the next bit of software, change it about, drop it back in, add some music, pop that into there, go on the internet and download a placeholder soundtrack so that I can just pop that in just to listen to it. Yep. That kind of convenience makes it really, really enjoyable making games, whereas when you're sitting there with a bit of graph paper trying to you know, pull a little square here and add up to 128 <laughs> and type in yeah. 1,500 data stuff to get one of them run. Yeah. That was something that I think if, if you could have had tools more like the ones that you've got now, and if, you know, if every Amiga had come with a hard drive in it, there's no reason why you couldn't have done a lot of that stuff on that system because it was a really capable system for its time. Yeah. It was just, it was just, you struggled because of that kind of, the lack of memory to one extent and the lack of storage. Okay. Okay, so hardware limitations the biggest thing there. Uh, Andy Magic Knight asks, how do you know when it's time to step away from the keyboard and call it finished? In before Shalan says when I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't get really uh, drunk. He doesn't really. I'm, I'm, no, I'm do, painting him. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, I, I do. Um, um, it, it kind of depends what your what your um, your deadlines are. If they're personal deadlines that you've set yourself, or if you've got somebody kind of breathing down your neck, wanting it, wanting it, to, wanting it to be finished. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky in that so far, everything I've done and everything I'm working on is my own project, so I don't really have anyone breathing down my neck. So for me, I step away when I'm happy with it. Um, I, I know that's kind of a generic response but it, it really does come down to that if i play the game and something annoys me then it's not finished 
Yeah. I need to be able to play the game to the end without being annoyed at it. And when I can do that, then I, I'm I'm happy and I'm done and I can walk away from it. Okay. That's probably cool. why Dot Cosmos 2 is taking so long as well, because <laughs> I'm constantly trying to change things in it. So, Well, as people yeah. are always so saying with modern three weeks rewriting the absolutely perfect rewind effects that you showed us. Oh, yeah, it's, it's going <laughs> to be something. That would be the best thing that's ever been coded, and he's rewritten about 15 times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as everybody says in modern games uh, nowadays, because there's so many unfinished things coming out, uh, Simon, just take your time and release it when it's ready, dude. I think it's as simple as that. So I think you're the right attitude. Uh, Mike, how do you how do you know when it's time to step away from the keyboard and um, call it finished? Generally, it's finished when the memory's full. So my first game was 16k <laughs> cartridge. It turns out I wrote 8k worth of code, but it was like 8k and one bank. And so because I don't understand how the format works, I thought I'd filled my 16k cartridge, so I stopped. <laughs> um, I know a little bit more than that now, but not a lot more, but only a little bit more. Um, Vegetables Deluxe, same thing, got to about 50k. Um, I started to run out of, of room that I could use without starting to do any kind of, for me, fancy tricks. Yep. So I thought that was about right. Um, my current game I'm working on the 64, this uh, Moon Patrol sort of game. I've written a, a Lunar Lander section, I've written a Moon Patrol section, they both need finishing. I think I can fit a third section into there, so basically it'll be three 16k games in one. Yeah, uh, and then that'll be done. Okay. But uh, as Simon says, that it won't come out unless I'm happy with it. If I don't like it, it'll never be seen. Yeah, I, I do just I want do to like point out. Well. I, let me quickly point out that Mike might finish his games when the memory's full, but that doesn't mean the games don't end. Okay, he does make complete games. I just want to add that. <laughs> <bit>. <laughs> yeah. It's That's not like what, what do you mean it stopped? <laughs> Sorry, I go do on. It's when you're thinking of adding new features in and stuff. If you think, I can add a new feature and it's going to take another sort of 500 bytes of memory and you've only got 400 bytes left. First step is always, can I fit it in 400 bytes? And then can I shrink anything else down? So it's yeah. not just like writing this really expansive code as you would nowadays. But uh, but yeah, it's fitting as much as you possibly can. Okay. okay. I do like how Mike's game is the only true 16 kilobyte game in the competition as well. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody else yeah. <laughs> um, cool any more questions guys it's finished when the c64 screams no more i'm full pretty much pretty yep. much uh hi eva 301 thank you for the follow up to the stream thank you by the way guys who have been in there and have raided me and hosted me and all that kind of shit i'm sorry i ignore you attend to on podcast because it just spoils it uh, are there any more questions we have two amazing c64 devs in here one who refuses to admit it and one who is happy to at least be honest and say that he can make games uh but they're both I really brilliant <laughs> they're both brilliant and they both do very different games and they are in here waiting for questions while those questions come in i did dare them to code the st <laughs> <laughs> I did actually ask the question were they going to be on any other platforms and ST was not mentioned so I tried the ST the other day and failed miserably to work out how the system works so if anybody knows how to make stuff happen on Atari ST I'm more than happy to give it a crack there you but go. Uh, currently it's <laughs> such an alien system to me that um, well technically I'm sure that it's, it's basically the same as going for the Amiga I would imagine but uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's, you switch it on and it, it looks different to an Amiga and I don't know which button you press and how to access the discs on it and stuff. And so I, I stepped away from it for now, but I'm, I'm certainly thinking about maybe doing something on the ST just because nobody else is doing it. Yeah, there's a reason for yeah. that. But... Yeah. <laughs> I'm I saw sorry, a couple Coconut. of my favourite games. 
I saw a couple of my favorite games on the ST and they were butchered on it. And I just, <laughs> from, that, from that point on, I couldn't, I couldn't get on with it at all. I saw a Magic Night game on the ST the other day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The um, um, Stormbringer. Stormbringer, yeah. Yes. Stormbringer. See, that's good. That's though. good. That is good. Really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, does this mean you're all going to make me relearn how to code the Atari ST? Yeah, it looks like it. Coconut's yeah. coming in. She's going to be. Let's run off publish again, no problem. Yeah, next year, same time, all three of you. Um, are you required? <laughs> okay, this is maybe not quite a serious question. Are you required to have <laughs> no hair to code good games, or is it a byproduct? Ooh, it's quite a good question actually, because I don't code and I have reasonably amount, I guess. I had a full head of hair this March before I started coding the C64. It's all been coming out since then. I've told you, it's yeah, these. I, I it's think these. it is a byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's when you stream and code because then it falls out for two reasons, in in my opinion. Um, uh, Retro Red Room is looking to publish ST games. Okay, that's doublesidedgames.com where you can buy Mike's game. Um, version 5. V 5.8 of Kickass was just released. What the hell is Kickass? I'm so confused by that entire sentence. Do we know what Kickass it's, uh, is? It's the C64 assembler that I use. Oh, okay. Okay. Was just released. Ah, nice. So that gives you something to play with after the stream then. Uh, right. I have a question in here that I really shouldn't have put in, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I always do this at the end of these kind of things where we get to talk to people like devs and important cool people instead of just me and two other streamers talking shit. Ask me a question from these two. Anything not personal or too rude, and uh, I always call it payback. So, Mike, go on. Let's see, let's see if we've got any questions for the streamer. <laughs> yeah, I've got a question for you. Um, you mentioned a couple of times that you used to do some coding on, uh, on Spectrum BBC. And, and you, you mentioned though, on your up. Discord... You've had a very cool release. So I want to know, what is that cool release and why you stopped making uh, software? Oh, I knew this was coming up. This is why I knew I shouldn't have asked this question. Um, <laughs> okay, back in 1981, um, Sinclair were about to release the ZX Spectrum in 1982, actually in January 1982, around Christmas 1981, I guess. Um, and about six months before that, they sent some for want of a better word, dev kits. In other words, 16K Spectrums held together with sellotape uh, to various schools. Uh, well, these most... ones are held together with sellotape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still have one that's held together by sellotape. Um, <laughs> uh, to various schools, I think in the north of England. Um, this was in 81. I left school in 84, 85. So I was 12, 13, something like that. I can't remember exactly. Um and the idea was, see who could write games, whoever won the competition won £10,000 worth, which was a hell of a lot back in 1981, of, uh, of computer gear for your school computer lab. So me, uh, a guy called Mike, weirdly enough, not this Mike, uh, <laughs> and a guy called Mark, uh, uh, we, um, we decided to make uh, an Asteroids clone. Um, and we entered this competition we sent it in, we won, we got £10,000 worth of gear for the computer club that there were three members, me, Mike and Mark, um, <laughs> which was fun. <laughs> and that game got packaged and uh, enhanced and I guess slightly smoothed out and made better by Scion Software. 
and released oh, as a built-in yeah. package on the ZX Spectrum when it sold in the stores, and that game's called Planetoids, and I helped code that. And that's my that's my big one. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I can prove that I did it, but you won't find it in the game. Actually, you will find it in the game if you refer part. You'll see my name and then my real name. Um, uh, but we got published by Cyan, not by us, but we won all this stuff. I've got a certificate somewhere that says, hey, you won so-and-so, here's your £10,000 worth of shit. We bought so much stuff. I was hacking fire stations with cup modems back then, <laughs> after that day. <laughs> um, and yeah, so Plan- Planetoids is, is, is the one that I'm kind of, everybody had it. If you bought a Spectrum, you played Planetoids. So pretty much That's everybody true. that played Planetoids played a game that I, um, I helped code significantly to be honest the 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 final version that is polished by science software is uh, i think ben was the guy who finalized it at scion um he's uh, the the final game is mostly mostly me to be honest so so yeah there you go does that answer your question Uh, oh why why did i stop um i left school i met my a girlfriend who became my wife far too early in life, standard old issue. And um, yeah. And then a few years later back, I went and st- I did, we did release other games and sold them to the school uh, through the school. We made quite a bit of money. We're talking like 50 quid a month for a school kid. That's a lot of money, you know, in 1982 and three. Um, and we, uh, and then I, I, I went off, I, I had kids and yeah, I tried to learn java um i I almost went back and i took a look and i'm like i can't be asked for this and i went back to doing my normal day job and i just kind (laughs) of never got back into it so yeah sad but true probably the story of a million bedroom cody kids so yeah um that good enough brilliant yeah i hate answering i hate answering questions about my past um (laughs) simon do you have a question um yeah so mine's kind of like a desert island disc kind of question so Ooh. if you could only have one system to play for the rest of your life and one game what would it be oh motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> these guys had the, my questions in advance this these completely bring you to me um <laughs> can i assume we're not going to class a pc because you can emulate virtually anything so actual systems yeah actual yeah. actual, actual systems, systems. Yeah. Oh my god. Um Sega Saturn. Ah. Preferably the Japanese version and Sega Rally. Ah, um, good, good choice. It is <laughs> the quintessential um arcade home system, even more than Neo Geo for me because of the Sega arcade games. And Sega Rally is the ultimate uh, racing game, and I like racing games. So Sega Rally 2 on Dreamcast is shit. Don't buy it, it's terrible. Sega Rally on on Sega Saturn is fantastic. Um, you know, that question was much easier. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just have a quick look. Uh, it's pretty cool. Excellent question. Thank you. Uh, hey, Cola. Um, I need to load up on my specy. How to get a girlfriend? How to get a girlfriend? <laughs> okay. Uh, probably a troll question, but um, I'm going to pull the one out to you two. How, how do you get a girlfriend, guys? Or boyfriend. You know, this is the modern world. We can have anything we want. <laughs> Show me your C64 collection. <laughs> I like that. Mike? Yeah, if I knew how to do that, I wouldn't have been coding games of the Commodore 64 in my bedroom when I was <laughs> 12, 13 years old. <laughs> and as for me, 
never again. I don't want another girlfriend or, or <laughs> no, just just no, period. So, <laughs> uh, okay, we're about to wrap it up unless you guys have any more questions, but I'm going to end with uh, one question for the both of you. Unless you two have questions that you want to ask each other or say things or anything else. No. No? Okay. I've worn them out. I've worn them out. What does the future, and we've covered this a little bit, what does the future both hold for you, if you can say, where would you like to see yourself in 10 years uh, regarding uh, coding games or in general? Uh, saying the head of the biggest game studio in the world is a valid answer. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the head of the biggest game studio in the world because the biggest game studio in the world is going to be the one that makes the most money from microtransactions and uh, all yes. that. So I wouldn't want to be that. Um, EA Sports, it's paid for in the game. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to eventually kind of work on um, PC indie titles. Kind of, I think Mike kind of said it before. If you want to make money, you kind of need to do kind of in a retro style. You need to do kind of pixelated uh, modern games. So I'd yeah. I'd like to do like something like that um, sometime in the near future. Um, um, but I'd also like to keep doing C64 as well. I, that's it's close to my heart, and I, I love that the, the community is still big. So I'm hoping it's still going in ten years' time. I imagine um, it will be. So actually. there's somebody to make games for. So yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, Mike. Yeah, I think the same thing. I've I've had a few kind of aborted attempts in the last couple of months at uh, looking into doing stuff on a PC because. That's where the, the, the market is. If you want to actually get people to play your game, I think you need to do it on a, a modern system. It's great to do stuff for the C64 community. I, I intend to carry on doing that uh, as much as I can. Yeah. But I'd quite like to do stuff that I could play on a proper platform, you know, without having to faff about with emulation and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's something that I think I'd look into. For now, what I'm busy with, I've got uh, two Amiga games that I'm working on, on sound for. Mm-hmm. Um, Vegetables Amiga I'll put together at some point because I've already kind of like three quarters written it now. <laughs> need to reach my Commodore 64 game, and beyond that, I've seen the really demo for the Amiga one. It looks good. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, sweet, right, guys. If you don't have any more questions, there is one question. Tell me how to find a man who loves the retro world as much as me. Well, there's one here, there's one there, and there's one even higher up. There you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're on two hours. Um, I hope you guys at home and listening to the audio podcast have found this informative. I have. I've enjoyed it immensely um it actually worked out perfectly i try and do these for two hours and normally they end up as two and a half to three hours and that is too long to sit here talking um who will move to canada <laughs> yeah which one of you two is going to move to canada i so guess tell me what day i'm moving <laughs> yeah i like canada as well <laughs> we're all coming for some it is <laughs> um Right, guys, thank you so much, Mike and Simon. Uh, You've been awesome.